Welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Tuesday, September 27th, we're studying Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 to 20. Moses speaks a word of hope to Israel concerning the Lord's forgiveness. And with that in mind, Moses makes it plain to the people that they stand before the choice of life and death, and they must choose life by remaining faithful to the Lord. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Tim Cook. Pastor Cook serves at Zion Lutheran Church in Lynn, Kansas. Pastor Cook, welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is good to be back. Thank you. Let's talk a little context today, Pastor Cook. What should we know about Deuteronomy, what Moses has been talking about leading up to chapter 30? Well, yeah, this is a summary of uh, the big speech that began in chapter 5, actually really at the end of uh, chapter 4. And so he's going to uh, summarize, and it's not going to be a point-by-point summary, I said this, this, and this, but rather he's going to take the broad themes and applications of all that has been said and done and exhort the congregation accordingly while grounding them in the covenant faithfulness of their merciful and gracious Lord. All right, and we are coming to the end of, at least with the way Professor Harstad organizes things in his commentary, to the end of Moses's third sermon in the book of Deuteronomy. In chapter 31 and through the end of the book, Professor Harstad suggests that, that we should understand that as supplementary material. Moses still has a few things left to say, even after he, he finishes his third sermon, which I suppose any good pastor does, right, Pastor Cook? That's right. <laughs> so so we're, in, we're in Deuteronomy chapter 30 this morning. We pick up the text. This is Moses speaking. And when all things come upon you, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you, as, you, as he took delight in your fathers, when you obey the voice of the Lord your God 
to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. That is our text for today. That is Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 to 20. So, Pastor Cook, at the beginning of the text, Moses says, When all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, and you call them to mind, it sounds like Moses is is looking forward here into the future. What What's he talking about as the text begins? Yeah, he, he goes beyond that to talk about their time in exile, which feels perhaps a bit out of place um, because they're gathering together on the banks of the Jordan River. They're about to enter into the promised land uh, to take it. But he's talking about a future orientation where the people are scattered everywhere. I mean, he'll dive into this uh, in a few verses. Uh, even if your outcasts are as, you know, as far as heaven, he says. Um, so he, it's, uh, it's kind of giving away the ending. Like, let me tell you how this is going to go. Or we're going to enter into this land and you're going to, uh, well, you're, you're going to make some mistakes and you're going to be exiled from it. Very much in the same way in the book of Genesis, he talks about the people will be, you know, in um, slavery for 400 years. Like he, he tells that before it happens. So we have that going on again. Um, so it's not an immediacy issue um, in the sense of, let me tell you what's going to happen next. But it's a long, it's a long view of the people of God. And you might ask, okay, well, what's the value? And I think the value is that it shows the parameters or the depth of his covenantal love, which is, you know, uh, this, this is when, when things have gone so bad, I kick you out of this promised land. These promises are still for you. I am the Lord. I'm still here. Uh, anyone can turn, turn back to me uh, and, and to be received uh, into these promises. So that's... Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot there to be sure, but he's definitely talking about a a far distant future. So we talked a little bit about in in chapter 28, where you have the blessings and then the very lengthy curses that 
Moses, as he speaks, particularly with the curses, he almost begins to sound prophetic that he knows that the people are going to disobey the Lord, that they're going to fall away from him to go after other gods. Something similar happened toward the end of chapter 29 as well, where there was, you know, all the nations were going to look at the land of Israel that was now empty of the people, and they would say, why has the Lord done this? And the people would say, it is because they abandoned the covenant. And so now as, as Moses begins chapter 30 then, it seems with those things in mind that he, he wants to give them hope. <laughs> if, if it, I mean, if he's been sounding like, hey, I kind of know you're going to do this, and this will be made more explicit later in Deuteronomy as well. Here's some, here's some hope for you, such that it doesn't seem like it's useless to you to keep the covenant now, and so that you know that when you do break the covenant, the Lord still will remain faithful, and particularly faithful to those promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, in bringing the Savior, to bring the Savior into the world. Yeah, I, um, I agree. I think it's a it's a helpful way uh, to think about it. I, as you were saying that, in my mind, I was wondering about uh, our own immediate context. You and I today, our people and our congregations. Do we um, do we think about the Lord's promises in in ter- those lengthy terms? Hmm. You know, and if, I don't know how old your congregation is, but congregation has been here since 1800 it's over 100 years old i think over 125 years and and that was very much a the the building and the forming of the congregation uh the establishment of schools in the area this was the people who were genuinely concerned about the their children and their children's children and their children's children and um i don't know my my reaction right now might be that's, that doesn't seem to be as prominent in the minds of, of our people today as it was back then. And I think, I think we're losing something. So there's, there's a value, uh, obviously, in that, in that long term, even, even if it is a future fraught with faithlessness. Hmm. So what do you, I mean, think on that a little bit more. What do you think we need to, to recover like from a text like Deuteronomy 30 in that, that lengthy view, thinking about our, our children, our children's children, the faithlessness that might come, and yet the, the Lord's faithfulness. What do we need to, to maybe recover from a text like Deuteronomy 30? Uh, repentance, which is very much it's a theme. I know, I know, but it's right there <laughs> in the text, right? It's this, this return to me. And so we can, we can do that if we speak of... Um, you know, families or congregations more is caught than taught. They will often say, um, "We can we can show that." So when we go astray, um, that that return, I'm comfortable uh, returning back to the Lord in humility, trusting in His promises. Um, that's you know, you you kind of you kind of lead you lead the way, and uh, and that's a beautiful thing for the people of God. Talk, talk more about the way Moses says it there in verse 2, return to the Lord your God. I, I hear that, and I think of the, the verse that we often use during Lent, I think from the prophet Joel, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. This is a, a very uh, very common way of speaking in the Scriptures. What, is, what does Moses mean by that? Yeah, I, I would—this is repentance, is what he's getting to. Um, 
when we think of the word repentance, at least it's a Greek version, it's this change of mind. And um, the there's this safety in Christ, Psalm 46, the Lord is my refuge and strength and ever-present help and help in trouble. Well, if that's true, the further you get away from there, the less safe and strength, you know, the less strength you have. And so um, as I tell my people again and again, any movement towards the Lord is by definition a movement away from sin. And so you, you return to him. Uh, and uh, Martin Luther famously in his first of 95 theses tells uh, you know, when Christ our master b- bids us to repent, he, he bids that the whole life of a Christian be one of repentance. And so it's this constant uh, dwelling uh, in, in the Lord and in his grace and in his promises. It's this durative, um, it's this durative thing where we're just, we're hanging out. Uh, uh, I suppose if we think of it like a house, uh, you know, we're just hanging out in the house of the Lord and, um, and you stay there. So that's what he's he's bidding people to do. Now to return to the Lord, that's going to require loving. It's going to require um, obeying. It's going to listening. All those things. So the, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. All that theme, excuse me, all the features of that theme that have been prevalent throughout Deuteronomy are, are now coming into play. And this is what the character of returning to the Lord looks like. Mm. Moses says that the returning to the Lord your God is both for you and your children. There's some of that forward thinking, that long view thinking. Why for you and your children? What's the significance of that language? Yep, you and your your offspring, um, of course, and for your actual children. So this is not this is not a like a club. It's not like when you turn 21, you can buy tobacco and alcohol or something like that. Uh, this is God's promises is for everybody. Uh, but it's generational. And throughout Scripture, that that phrase for you and your children is very, very often connected to covenantal language. Um, and so we, we see that uh, throughout the text here. We'll see it again in verse 6 and again at uh, verse 19, where he's talking about you and your offspring. We should hear this, um, our echo. We should hear its echo. Um, in Acts chapter 2, 38 and 39, that great Pentecost Day sermon, the people are cut to the heart. They ask Peter, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children. And again, that includes the babies, but it's this is a promise that is for all the subsequent generations uh, moving forward. And so this is the, this is, well, it's going to come back into play here uh, in in a few more verses. So I'll I'll withhold the comments till we get there. Sure. Well, and just as a reminder, in chapter 29, verse 15, Moses tells the people that the covenant is for, you know, whoever is standing here today, but also whoever is not here with us today. So there's that same forward thinking, that long view thinking that continues into chapter 30, not only in verse 2, but as you said, coming more in the chapter as well. In Into verse 3 then, so Moses has put his eyes toward the future when the blessing and curse have come, the people have been driven into foreign nations. Now in verse 3, he talks about now that they have repented, the Lord then will restore their fortunes. 
Uh, take us into to verse three. Yep, he'll restore uh, the fortunes. He'll have mercy on them. And then it, it goes on to talk about the Lord gathering again uh, from the places where he scattered you. And so you recognize uh, all that the Lord does in his uh, wisdom and will. Even the suffering we endure uh, is, you know, brought about by by his hand. I think of the prophet Isaiah saying he creates he creates calamity. Um, but anyway, he, he so he the Lord scatters uh, as righteous uh, punishment for faithlessness, and he likewise gathers them uh, again to himself. And uh, the fortunes, um, when the Apostle Paul is talking about in chapter nine of Romans, he uh, he talks about this unceasing anguish and sorrow in his heart for his kinsmen, the brother of the, his brothers in the flesh, who do not yet know the Lord. And then he rattles off the things that belong to them. And what he doesn't rattle off are, well, they were really wealthy and they were successful and they had great military. He says theirs was the patriarchs, theirs was the covenant, theirs was, uh, you know, the, the revelation of God. And so these are, um, I would say the predominant features of the fortunes of the Lord. You're in the Lord's land. You've got the city where he's decided to place his name. You have access to your heavenly father through the priestly vocations. And so that is all going to be restored uh, to those who, who return to the Lord. In verse four, then the Lord or Moses makes plain that the Lord can even do this no matter how far they are scattered. He talks about the uttermost parts of heaven. There's there's no place too far. That's correct. And we need to uh, hear that as hope for the concern we share for those who have maybe left the faith, who have departed from the faith. We don't want to fall into, into despair. They've gone so far, they can never come back. Uh, we need to know this for those who are maybe despairing uh, as they remember uh, the days of their faithfulness. And they, well, you know, I don't know about you, but as a pastor, I, a number of occasions where people have just straight up told me, you know, the Lord could never, you don't even need to finish that sentence. Just hear how ridiculous that sounds. The Lord could never. Well, um, but usually it's forgive, welcome me back, restore me to his. And so they, they feel as though they have um, kind of sinned their way outside of the graciousness and the compassion of their Lord. Um, I was uh, talking to a, to a person where I was inviting them back to church and they, they said, well, I don't, I don't know. It's been so long. I don't even know that people want me there. Uh, and uh, I said, well, uh, I can tell you that the two most, you know, the important people want you there. God wants you there and I want you there. And that, <laughs> that's, right. you know, whoa, are you the, are you, are you the only one that matters? And I said, no, it's not that it's, <laughs> I have been called by God to deliver you this message. This is how God is uh, gathering his people back to him. So no, you know, as a, as a called and ordained servant of Christ, he, he wants, he, he loves you and he wants you back. And he's ready to give you those fortunes of the peace that passes all understanding, the forgiveness of sins, the communion with uh, the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's, it's a beautiful thing. 
as as we were reading these verses earlier, I, I couldn't help but think of the the recent text, at least in the the three year lectionary from earlier in the month of September, where you hear the two parables from Luke 15, where Jesus speaks of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And of course, there's the, the lost sons as well that, that comes, even though it wasn't read at this point. But I think a verse like Deuteronomy 30 is a reminder that the parables that Jesus tell, which are well-beloved and rightly so, this has been a theme throughout the scriptures, is that God will go to whatever lengths necessary to bring his lost people back. And, and you see it here in Deuteronomy 30 as well. That's right. Yep. That's, uh, and then that theme of, well, yeah, that theme of rejoicing. Uh, so don't be scandalized by the grace. Um, don't, uh, don't grumble as the Pharisees did. Um, you know, it's an invitation. Rejoice with me when people return to the Lord. Uh, and however it's done, however the Lord gathers them, um, rejoice. So the, the Lord does his gathering, even from the uttermost parts of heaven in verse 4. In verse 5, the Lord says that he will, he will bring his people into the land that the fathers possessed. He will make more prosperous and numerous than their fathers. We've been saying that these things are, are coming in the future. Are, are these things speaking about the return from exile, as we read about it in books like Ezra and Nehemiah? I think verse 5 uh, is uh, definitely focused toward that time period. You don't want to narrow it so much that it, it doesn't overlap into other generations. Um, but uh, when you get to that reference about he's going to bring you back to this land, uh, that's exactly what he did through Ezra and Nehemiah and those post-exilic prophets. Um, so, so five seems to be focused uh, upon upon that that generation and uh, features, uh, you know, moving moving forward will show us, especially then maybe the tail end of that verse is talking about, we're going to make you more prosperous or numerous than your fathers. I think at, at that point, the best way to kind of reconcile that text with what we know about history is how St. Paul speaks of these things. We're all sons of Abraham by faith. And so the, the kingdom of, of God uh, continues to increase uh, and we are more prosperous today than they were back then. And uh, that's, uh, so you've got a little bit of both going on. When I see the land, and if you know of a different interpretive move there, I'm all ears. But when I hear the land, I focus on those post-exilic people. When I think just sheer numbers of people, I think of all the people by faith and the um, expansion of the kingdom of God uh, beyond the Jews and into the Gentiles as has been promised since Genesis 12, through your offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I think when you think about a verse like verse 5, historically, as you said, there has to be more going on there than the literal return from exile that, is, as we said, is, is recorded under from Ezra and Nehemiah, especially when it talks about, when Moses talks about that he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your father's. It does not seem that, and I don't know about numerically, but but the prosperous sense. I mean, I recall that when they finally do rebuild the temple, that there are those who weep because they remember the first one and just how much grander it was, Su such that it, it would seem that verse 5 here has to be talking not only about the physical return from exile that did happen historically, but as you said, the expansion and, and the way Paul writes in his epistles that 
those who are the children of Abraham are, are truly his children by faith. It's not about the bloodline, but it's about the faith. I think that a, a verse like this has to be pointing forward to that, even while there is an aspect that you certainly you see it fulfilled historically in the exile, but even with the, the land, and I, you know, I mean, I'm reminded of the way Jesus speaks in the Beatitudes, and I, for, I forget which one it is, but is it, is it blessed are the meek who will inherit the earth? Correct. But that language of, of inheriting the earth that Jesus connects, again, not simply to the bloodline of Abraham, but to those who live by faith. I, I, for, for those reasons, I, I think a verse like this is doing kind of double duty in that sense, and, and in that way does apply to us as Christians who are children of Abraham according to faith, even if not by blood. You said it well. I'm not going to add to it. <laughs> so let's let's start to pick up verse six then, where the Lord promises to circumcise their hearts. And here again, we also get the hearts of their offspring. What does this language mean that the Lord will circumcise hearts? I uh, I can't help but hear the third article of the Apostles' Creed, as explained by Doctor Martin Luther, that the Lord, you know, Holy Spirit uh, calls, gathers, enlightens the whole Christian Church on earth. Um, and it's not something we do on our own. Earlier in Deuteronomy, where the reference to circumcising the heart occurred, I believe that was chapter 10, um, they are said uh, to circumcise their own hearts because they're stubborn. But here, it's God is the one who is, uh, who is doing this agency. Uh, he says that he will, he will circumcise their hearts. So now we're talking again about uh, faith. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's not just, it's not just men, it's not just Jews, um, or bloodline, but it's, it's an activity uh, of faith. All those who are receptive, uh, to hear the word of God, to obey and live by it. And so that's, uh, the circumcision of the heart. Um, I, I would imagine there's a lot more, but where you really see this coming to fruition is in the book of Colossians, uh, chapter two, he talks about. Paul is talking about you've been circumcised, uh, you know, not by human hands, um, but rather by the Lord. I'm trying to pull that up. Yeah. Uh, circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Um, so second is Colossians 2 verse, verse 11. Mm. And so this is, this is the Lord. He's, you know, they were cut to the heart. It makes you wonder if you might connect those, those two passages as well. Um, but certainly, yeah, it's to live, it's to be marked as one belonging to the covenant faithfulness of the Lord. And with that, that's a good place to take our break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFU. We're looking at Deuteronomy 30 with Pastor Tim Cook. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? 
Imagine a college that is affordable, a college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran, a college that won't take a dime of federal funding, a college that teaches the best of our Western heritage, a college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College, a college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org, subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, September 27th. We're studying Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 to 20 with Pastor Tim Cook. He serves at Zion Lutheran Church in Lynn, Kansas. Pastor Cook, prior to the break, we were talking about verse 6, where the Lord promises that he will circumcise the hearts of the people, the hearts of their offspring as well. Made a fantastic connection to Colossians 2 and what the Lord does for us in holy baptism and how he marks us as his own, not only the men, but women and children as well. The result in verse 6 of Deuteronomy 30 of the Lord's circumcising hearts is that they will love the Lord their God with all their heart and soul, and they will live. Talk about this result of a circumcised heart. Uh, yeah, if you have been, well, it's the Apostle Paul who's going to draw this connection from circumcision to, to baptism. And uh, if, if you're baptized, as he says elsewhere, how can you who have died to sin still live in it, right? So the Lord who's circumcising your heart, well, now you're going to live like it. <laughs> um, it. It shapes then, it becomes the form uh, for, for, or the shape of your, your life moving forward. And so that looks like, uh, you know, love. And Jesus will say, yeah, if you love me, you will, you will keep my commandments. And... Um, it's uh, that's uh, very relatable. Um, it rings as true in our own life. Um, the people who who listen to us, who who hear us, um, are the the people we tend to identify as the ones who love us and um, and and care for us. And so that's what he says: and circumcise you uh, so that you will love the Lord your God. And it's just right with all your heart, with all your soul, uh, and then and then you'll you'll live in the life that God alone provides. I mean, there, there isn't, and he's going to get to that when he says at the end of the chapter here, right? I'm setting before you life and death. Um, so you can live in the love of God and everything outside of that. Well, that's not living. It's, it's death. Um, and so it's a, the, the life, the eternal life is, is the prerogative and promise of God uh, to his people achieved and secured, of course. Uh, through his Son and sealed by the Holy Spirit. And I think as, as we talk about life, not only in verse 6, but then as you pointed out later in this text, uh, we should be thinking of, of living not just in the matter of, you know, you're breathing and your heart's beating and you've got brain waves. If they, if they hooked you up to a, a machine, you could see all that. But rather more in the sense of the way Jesus speaks in, in John chapter 10, where he, he speaks of himself as coming, that they may have life and and something like have it abundantly or have it to the full, that this is actually what life truly is, is to, as he says was in the high priestly prayer, that they would know the Father and the one that he has sent, you know, Jesus. That's what life actually is, not just living and breathing and moving. Right. We have a good colloquial expression for this. Um, you know, that's no way to live. Hmm, so people yeah. recognize, wait, you're, you're, you're living, but there's something missing. Now, uh, I suppose any number of marketing campaigns could hijack that phrase to try to sell you a product. Uh, but this is not a marketing com campaign. This is, this is the Lord and there's, there's living, um, and there's 
alive in Christ, which is of a completely different uh, character. Now, in, in verse 7, we see a, a reversal yet again. The Lord had blessed his people for keeping the co- the covenant. Then there were the curses in chapter 28. And now in, in verse 7, the, the curses that had been placed upon Israel by the Lord for their disobedience and forsaking the covenant, now the Lord reverses that, and all those foes whom the Lord had used to, to bring about his word of, of cursing, now they are in turn receive the curse. Yeah, this is consistent with the with the covenant first made to Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, where he says, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And so the Lord is not, uh, he, he hasn't forgotten his promise. That too is a promise. Uh, and he hasn't forgotten that that aspect, um, that aspect of it. And so the, the justice that we uh, so often desire when people do us wrong, our inclination is to, you know, take that into our own hands. But the Lord is reminding, nope, they'll they'll get their uh, they'll get their due reward. Um, coming up in the lectionary is uh, at least in the three-year lectionary is Second Timothy, and at the at the end of the book, um, he warns about Alexander the coppersmith who does him great harm. And then the end of that sentence, he says, "The Lord will repay him according to his deeds." And so, what a shift for the Apostle Paul. Right. I mean, when he was before he met Christ on the road to Damascus, when he met an enemy to his faith, that was justification for imprisonment and death. Um, and now when he becomes a Christian and the world turns against him, he doesn't shrug his shoulders, but he rightly casts that burden upon the Lord. Uh, and he's confident that the Lord will make good and take care of it. As Moses continues into verse 8, he again speaks about the people in the future, that they will obey the voice of the Lord. That is what a one who has a circumcised heart begins to do. And in, in verse 9, then the Lord will will prosper that and, and prosper them in all kinds of ways. It it's, reminds me of some of the language the Lord used in his section on blessing in Deuteronomy 28, that it seems like every aspect of life, as the people obey the Lord, the Lord will prosper them in that. Yeah, it these passages always make me nervous because uh, a lot of very not helpful theologians, uh, so to speak, or just straight up false prophets will peddle this idea that the way God shows his love to you is through physical blessings, which is uh, contrary to uh, so much of scripture and even experience, um, not of just the saints, but you think of just so many people who have loved the Lord their God and have un- endured untold suffering. Paul himself saying the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing comparing to the glory. But with that said, when you receive a blessing, be it the fruit of your womb or uh, some other uh, blessing of finances or or land acquisition or temporal, whatever that temporal blessing is, this too is from the Lord. It's a first article matter. It's uh, it's a give us this day our daily bread matter. It's the Lord is a good gift giver. And uh, the James chapter one says, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from God, the father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. 
And then, and I always forget what psalm this is in. I think it's Psalm 37. But I can, anyway, the idea that when riches increase, set not your hearts on them. So again, the Apostle Paul will speak this way. I know what it is to, to be content in, in want and in plenty, uh, he says. And so when the Lord gives us these uh, blessings, when he prospers us, as he's uh, offered to do, and is this his prerogative, right? What, do you begrudge me my generosity? Am I not able to do uh, with what's my own? Um, when, when those occur, we, uh, we give thanks to the Lord um, that he's a, he's a good gift giver. Well, and, and uh, certainly there, there is the abuse of the prosperity gospel, and, and that is very prevalent today. But we shouldn't go so far as to think that the Lord, as, as you've been saying, that the Lord doesn't give temporal blessings. And, and even to see how when, when our life does match the way the Lord has laid it out in his word, and we live according to his commandments, when we receive good things in that life, I guess at the very least, we shouldn't be surprised by it. Not that we would expect, you know, overwhelming prosperity and, and nothing bad to ever happen as is, as is preached. But at the same time, we, if, if we're living according to the commandments of God and we see good things happen because of that, I don't, I don't think we should be surprised at the very least. Right. It, it become, you're right. It's uh, not a surprise. I, it's built in, right? The blessings are just, they're just built in. Um, and all in its right order, right? In the same way, we don't want to put sanctification ahead of justification, that kind of thing. Um, it's all just—it's all in its right order. Um, but a person who who serves their neighbor, um, and, and as the Ephesians says about working with your hands, right? So let the thief no longer steal, make an honest living, working with his hands. So for what reason? So that he may be able to share with those who are in need. Well, who are those? You well, probably his wife and his kids, uh, first and foremost. His neighbors beyond that. Um, so there's a hymn in our hymnal for the fruits of his creation, and there's this beautiful line. I think it stands at two. It might be stands at three, but it, it says, um, "In the just reward of labor, God's will is done." Well, what's the just reward of labor? It's I worked and I earned an honorable wage. So um, monetary blessings have come to me through an avenue that is uh, blessed by God as legitimate. And, uh, and now uh, that this money has come to me uh, through ethical means, I can use it to serve my neighbor as I so desire. And uh, if everybody works that way, then the blessings abound, and if only a couple of people work that way, the, the blessings are diminished. Now, as, as Moses moves into verse 10, you, I think you see him start to kind of wrap up this section in which he's looking forward to the Lord's restoration, his forgiveness of his people, again, taking delight in them. They will be obeying the voice of the Lord their God, keeping his commandments returning to him, this this repentance language, which, as we said, is it, we see it in the, the return from exile, but even more so, we re, we see it in Christ and what he's doing in his in his church through his word still among both Jews and Gentiles. Looking into to verse 11, then, I mean, Moses, this, I think, is where he begins to make this turn, and he, he's starting to wrap up this third sermon of his, where he he's really imploring them yet again, hold on to this covenant, keep these words, 
And he starts to talk about the, the nature of the commandment that he gives. And he says, it's not hard. It's not far off. He begins to ask some, some rhetorical questions and even has the answer there. What's Moses doing? Say in verses about 11 through 14. Yeah, he's, there's a catechetical value uh, to the word, of, the word of God. When he says it's not too hard, we should not read that. I'm always worried about poor readings of scripture. We, we don't want to read that and conclude that um, God's, like we can keep the law perfectly. Uh, we certainly strive to live as the baptized uh, people who's, you know, God has circumcised their hearts. We, we're going to do that. Um, but uh, as he has already said, when we fail, these promises of God are still available for us. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're not going to live this perfectly. Um, but what he's getting at here is it's not just for the select few. God's will, God's law, God's revelation to his people, God's gifts for his people. This is not so hard that only celebrity status type people have access to it. It's right there in your mouth and your hearts. The, every family is supposed to be talking about this stuff when they, you know, walk along the way, when they sit down to eat, when they lie down for bed, when they rise in the morning, it's right there. So the, I was uh, consulting a, a commentary. I thought it had this beautiful line um, where it says, uh, it's a commentary on, on the book of Deuteronomy by a man named Edward Woods. But he says, uh, there is a strong catechetical emphasis in Deuteronomy involving the mouth and heart, beginning with uh, the Shema, that's uh, the Lord our God is one. Behold, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one in uh, Deuteronomy 6. And then he, he, he cites other places in Deuteronomy where this theme about the involving the mouth and the heart repeats. And then he says, on this basis, it was expected that the law could be in the mouth of every man as he repeated it, thus allowing it to enter into his heart and flow out into his life. This did not require the deep searchings of philosophy and the mysteries of the universe, for it was as near as hearing and seeing as had been plainly revealed to Israel. Therefore, it was something that potentially could be acted upon uh, so that you may uh, obey it and live. But th that's that same theme. Like, it's just, it's right there in your mouth. It, it's the structure and uh, of of your life. Mm. Well, I mean, you're not too hard, I think, and, and you're probably getting at this, but not too hard in the sense that you can understand what God is saying here. Right. It's, it's not difficult to, you know, I mean, it might be, it, it might be hard in the sense that you don't like it, or you, you can't do it, but it's not hard in the sense that you can understand what Moses has said. Like, you know what, what he means, and you know what it looks like to do it. It's, it's not hard. Uh, it's even so easy that you are to speak it to your children, as you were saying. Yep, that, that's, exactly, that's exactly it. It's, uh, it's near you. And uh, he says, right, but the word, the word is very near you. And, I, you know, I, I just can't hear that phrase without jumping to our uh, enfleshed word, Jesus Christ, the incarnate Christ, who is as near us, be it in the sacrament or in his promise that we're two or three are gathered together in his name. Okay, people gathered together in their name. Now we're back to the beginning of this chapter. When you return to the Lord your God, that's what, that's what we're doing in the divine service. We're returning to the Lord God, uh, looking to hear, uh, looking to speak. 
uh, asking and praying that the Lord would help us to live uh, out his word, relying on his blessings of, of grace and forgiveness, mercy, compassion, uh, and if it so uh, pleases him, uh, prosperity as well. Well, you know, I mean, mentioning Jesus, I think, is perfectly appropriate. St. Paul in Romans 10 quotes from this section of Deuteronomy 30, and you, you were mentioning the importance of both the heart and the mouth elsewhere in Deuteronomy. And, and when Paul picks this language up in Romans 10, you know, he, we have these, these words. He, he says, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. And then Paul says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then he goes on to, you know, to talk about the importance of, of hearing, and that's how God works faith. So that these, again, these things are, are right there for you, for you to hear them, believe them. They're simple. They're easy to understand, even for a child. God has, has placed them right there for you in his word for you to hear and believe. So, I mean, what a, what a wonderful promise, not only for the, the people of God in Deuteronomy 30, but, but also for us still today, as, again, St. Paul quotes from this in Romans 10. In, in verses 15 through the end of the chapter, then this is where, you know, if there's a, a soundtrack to the book of Deuteronomy, this is where the music really swells, I think. I mean, this is where Moses just, he, he comes to this beautiful, grand conclusion, and he puts it before the people so plainly. It, you see this, one of the themes I think you see here is these, these two ways. This is a theme we see throughout Scripture. There's life and good on the one hand, and death and evil on the other. And Moses lays out what the two ways look like plainly. And then says, "Make sure you choose life." Uh, take us into, take us into the section, Pastor Cook. Yeah. So, what has been set before the people? You know, it, well, let me just re- verse fifteen. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. So, okay, this day, contextually, Moses, there, people of Israel, banks, Jordan River. What has been set before them? And, and the answer is uh, the will of God. Uh, set before them by God's word. So you can, uh, and now you can, you can do that, or you can decide not to do that. Um, so uh, he's appealing, please uh, choose, uh, you know, he doesn't quite uh, ask for them to choose, that shows up in verse 19, but he's setting it before you. So he talks about the, the benefits and of obeying, right? You obey the commandments of the Lord your God, that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, and then walking in His ways has that, um, you know, you know, walk, talk the talk, walk the walk concept. So you're you're going to not just give pay lip service to this stuff, but you're going to actually live in this way, uh, keeping His commandments, His statutes, and rules. So this isn't just keeping the Ten Commandments, but the entire teaching, which would include uh, all of those promises of of God uh, to be gracious to His. To his people, um, and then because this is a historically, uh, this is a document that happened to a very historical people in a very real point of time, uh, we have that temporal blessing that was made to them about uh, living uh, in the being blessed in the land that they're entering uh, to take possession of. Um, so that's kind of, you know, he, he's really running for it. Uh, or I think the way you said that, the, it's swelling the soundtrack, uh, so to speak. So, yeah, anything else on that before I jump into 17? 
Go for it. Keep going. Yeah. So, you know, your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn to worship other gods and serve them. I I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. Well, that's because here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is one God. And if you look to another God to do what gods are supposed to do, they will fail you. They, They just will. Because this Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, uh, you know, God whose son is Jesus of Nazareth, um, this, this God has promised you uh, the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. And he's the only God who can deliver. And if you're going to chase after another God and look to them for every good thing, uh, they're going to fail you on these points because they're not God and they don't have the power to deliver the blessings that only God can give. Um, so that's, that should be, uh, it's one of those very obvious passages uh, in the text, but you just got to kind of unpack it a little bit to see somehow that it's more obvious than it even seems. Um, that's right. That's right. Talk, talk, uh, go into to verse 19, where Moses calls heaven and earth as witnesses. What, what's going on there? Okay, so historically, in that culture and area, um, especially among the non-Israelites, when they did these treaties, they would call on the various gods uh, to, to bear witness or, you know, uh, kind of solemnize uh, the, the treaty or covenant or whatever they were entering into. Well, again, there is only one God, um, and uh, and so he's he's not he can't call on another one, but he will call on the heavens and the earth that have been there from the beginning, uh, and so just every aspect of your life uh, is is bearing witness. Everything you see, uh, whether it's below your feet or above your head, uh, or all around you, everything you see is testifying unto the goodness of the Lord, and uh, and his his promises. So. We reference the Apostle Paul a lot, we should, uh, but he, he talks about kind of this idea of the law being written on our heart, this natural law, people not being without excuse. Uh, we, these are witnesses to the graciousness of God themselves uh, is, is the very earth. So then take us into the, the where Moses, again, just puts it right before the people. He says, therefore, choose life. Why? So that you're, you and your offspring may live. I mean, take us into the way he, he concludes this section. Yeah. Choose life that you and your offspring may live. That's that phrase now. We've seen that three times in this passage, in this chapter. Uh, you and your, your offspring. So it's durative. Uh, loving the Lord your God, uh, obeying his voice, holding fast to him. Uh, I should have looked to see if that's the same word for cleave. It'd be an interest. Anyway, uh, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob uh, to give you. So this is nothing new. Um, as we've seen all along, he's called upon heaven and earth, which certainly precede Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, but the promises that were given to them are now delivered to all the people of God. Um, and, uh, and you're going to, you hold on to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you cling to all that he has to offer you uh, because he uh, is your life, right? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He is, he is your length of days. It is the word of the Lord which endures forever. Everything else uh, perishes. So you, 
I you can't I can't hear this passage without focusing in on the significance of the word of God, be it written, spoken, or uh, incarnate in our Lord Jesus, the Son of God. Pastor Cook, I, I looked quickly in my Hebrew Old Testament, and I think you are correct that the word in verse 20 that's translated holding fast to him is the same as in Genesis 2, where the man leaves his father and mother and, and cleaves or holds fast to his wife. That looks to be the same Hebrew word. That's what you were suggesting. I was, right? just because of, you know, Christ is, you know, the, the bride of the church, yeah. and he is the word of God that we, you know, the bride would yeah, hold fast to one another, that idea. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I like it. I like it. Pastor Cook, we got about two minutes here. Help us to, to wrap things up on Deuteronomy 30. Help us to see Christ in this text. Okay, uh, return to the Lord, and uh, so if you're going to return to the Lord, you have to know where to find him, and uh, God will only be known through his, or desires to be known only through his son Jesus. And so uh, these people are listening to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, who has laid out these expectations and reminding them of their promise. He has promised to gather them from all the corners of the earth, those who have uh, departed from his covenant. And uh, he's going to bless them as he promised Abraham to do. And that will happen through his son, through his son, Jesus. So we're going to uh, find and return to the Lord. We will choose life by residing in the goodness of, of Jesus Christ, who is uh, going to uh, carry out and fulfill uh, all the promises uh, made here for all the sons of Abraham by faith. Pastor Tim Cook is pastor at Zion Lutheran Church in Lynn, Kansas, helping us today with Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 to 20. Pastor Cook, thanks for being our guest today. Glad to be here. Thank you. The word of the Lord is life, life to the full, life as God intended. Hold fast to that life that is yours in Jesus Christ. I am your ho host here on Sharp Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Deuteronomy, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.